Welcome to the Comet ML Office Hours, powered by the Artificial Data Science. Super excited to have all of you guys here. Thank you so much for taking time out of your Sunday to join us today. Hopefully, you guys got a chance to tune in to the Artificial Data Science podcast episode on Friday, where I talked to one of my favorite people, Jonah Dickball from LinkedIn. It was a great conversation. Also, don't forget next week to catch Iodeli and myself at the Data Science Go Virtual Conference. We're going to be hosting a panel discussion, and it was actually just recently announced that I'll be emceeing the entire thing. So the heads up, next week, I will likely not be here for office hours. Sorry, Ideally, dropping that bomb on you. Just forgot to let you know. Um, but Ideally, will you be here next week for the office hours? No, I will awesome. be here. Awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited for this. It's, uh, it's going to be such a great event. There's a lot of great topics and conversations being discussed. To me, it almost feels like an artist data science reunion because most of the people on the main stage are either going to be on my show or have already been on my show before. So it's uh, an awesome kind of family get together from my perspective. But yeah, definitely go and register for that. I'll be sure to include a link to that very shortly and also in the show notes. Um, but yeah, super happy to have all you guys here. Um, if you guys have questions, go ahead and put them, put, you know, I've got a question into the chat. We'll add you to the queue. Um, but yeah, I definitely, I want to talk a little bit about creativity and creativity as a data scientist. First of all, talk to me about, do you think you need to have creativity skills or, or, you know, do you need to be creative as a data scientist? I think very much so, um, because a lot of our work isn't really outlined in a straight path. I think especially because we iterate so much, um, trying to be creative in the factors that we're iterating and knowing enough technical skills to understand which knobs you can change. And then having some creative energy and being able to test and experiment um, with those and eventually trying to get to a place where you either have a good like domain understanding of the types of things that work well and the types of things that don't. Um, but also it, it allows us to be more than um, the stereotypical maybe anal analyst kind of profile where um, it's not really seen as a positive thing to have a lot of like creativity. But I do think it um, is really is really necessary for the vast majority of data science jobs. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I've been really studying and researching about creativity. I, I go on these interesting kind of, well, they're interesting to me actually, an intellectual type of sprints where I focus on something that I'm just really interested in. Before it was all about luck. I was really fascinated with what is luck. And um, now it's, it's mostly been shifting towards creativity and what is creativity? How can I be more creative? Because I think it plays a important role in our jobs as data scientists, because I mean, yeah, there's analytic work, but at the end of the day, we're solving problems and we need to apply judgment to a problem that is in front of us. And, um, you know, coming up with possible solutions is very, very creative act. Something I've been reading recently um, is this book right here, a, a Whack on the Side of the Head by Roger Van Eck. I think that's how you say his name. Um, I was really, really enjoyed this book so much so that I uh, bought his other books. And um, one of them is called A Kick in the Seat in the kick in the seat of the pants, which is interesting. Then he's got another book uh, that's all about the philosophy of Heraclitus and how Heraclitus can teach us to be more uh, creative. But uh, in this book, he talks about uh, Tom Hirschfield's rules of thumb. And two things that I thought were really, really Im important, two or three things that I really stood out to me was one, never state a problem, problem 
to yourself in the same terms as it was brought to you. If you don't understand a problem, then explain it to an audience and listen to yourself. And don't mind approaches that transform one problem into another. That's a new chance. So I found those to be really interesting bits of, of wisdom there. Um, but yeah, I definitely highly, highly recommend this book. And, you know, hopefully I can synthesize everything I'm learning and apply that to to my job as a data scientist. But so talk, talk to me about some practices that you have used when you're up against a problem and you're like, oh my God, I just, I can't figure out a way forward. Weirdly enough, I have to take a step away. So sometimes this means diving into random creative work that has nothing to do with my day job, or um, sometimes it's been sitting in maybe with different like stakeholder groups that I'm used to talking to. But I, I've noticed in my kind of workflow, I need to either get a more broad view most of the times and very rarely do I need a more narrow kind of close-up view. Um, but in those cases, I try to um, either look at the data in a different way or have a better understanding of um, the problem itself. So I think that that is kind of where I've fallen back on, like, maybe I don't have, I'm not grasping the problem the way I should be, or the way I should um, attempt to solve this for the stakeholders at hand. So um, I tried to kind of step back a little bit, try and get a wider view of what's going on. And even then, um, you know, looking outside my own organization, trying to see other solutions to problems, um, in similar industries or anything that um, could possibly kind of transfer over has been really helpful for me to open my mind. I think um, the longer you do this, the easier it is to somewhat settle into specific models that you have preferences for, um, but really just staying on top of new research, even if I um, have the chance to read a paper about a way to use utilize a model that I haven't tried before, um, that can often sp spring up some ideas about how to solve uh, the current problem at hand if I'm kind of hitting a wall. I absolutely love that. It's some really, really great tips and advice, and I'm definitely going to be taking some of that with me. That point about getting up and kind of walking away from the problem, I think is a super important one. Like sometimes I'll just go for a walk or go do some dishes or something or just you know, stretch out for a few minutes, just let the, the mind wander and then get back to the problem. And you know, sometimes you'll have some new insight um, but yeah, great. Thank you for sharing some of those tips. Hopefully you guys enjoy that. If you guys have any questions on that further, let me know. But in the meantime, we got a question here from uh, Sagoon. Go for it. Hi, Apri. Hi, how's it going? Yeah, you were muted. Yeah, I'm second, good. But, yeah. Yeah. How's everybody doing? Uh, joining a little late? Yeah. yeah, yeah, man. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Sure. How can we help? Yeah, a quick question, really. It's around... Um, Okay, the the technical part of uh, machine learning interview, yeah. So I would like to post this to everyone that will potentially interview or has interviewed before. If you're interviewing uh, an ML engineer and you get a technical part where you you have them write code, for example, the hacker write kind of code, lead lead code kind of um, code, and I'm wondering which would you prefer the candidate that writes the code in what I call Python shorthand or just go the long route. For example, you've been given um, two arrays containing four numbers each. And the question says, combine the two arrays together and sort them in a certain order or something. Typically, if you go the loop route, get the first array, second array, loop, add each using index and all that, then write some sort of a 
sorting code again to sort the numbers and all. Or you use inbuilt um, functions that Python does have. For example, now if you do array.extend, uh, add the second array to the first one, automatically it extends that. Then you could use the array.sort um, to automatically sort the list. So I'm wondering which would you go for? Because um, at the crossroad there, would one should one focus on going the longer route, which involves quite a lot, or if you just go the shorter route, which pretty much gets work done. And yeah, that's just my question. I mean, first route sounds like the big O for that would be super large because that's a lot of steps looping through two arrays and then having to sort them. I mean, I'd, I'd go for the candidate who is able to write code that is able to execute the fastest and utilizing good principles for doing that. So uh, I don't know if that helps or not, but I mean, I, I, I'm not a computer scientist by any means, but I would say probably in the case like that, maybe merge sort would make the most sense uh, or maybe some type of divide and conquer technique in that sense. Ideally, what do you think? Yeah, I think from my perspective, um, at least when I've been interviewing, I care a little bit less that maybe they know they can use um, these loops to kind of get the same answer and more want to see them leverage things that um, like those inbuilt functions, especially um, like Harpreet mentioned especially when it comes to time and complexity, um, it would be overall slightly still better for the team to bring someone on who um, is able to write fairly fast fast code, considering a lot of what we're doing in ML, um, we're concerned with the optimization and a little bit less with um, knowing specific techniques to get there and more so um, building things properly so they go faster. So uh, I'd agree and probably the second method, take the shorter route. I'm sure some like technical interviewers and HR managers might have a different opinion there. Um, but even that could be something you bring up. Say you are in that interview, you can say, you know, I can go this really long route, but I'm going to choose to use inbuilt functions because in the real world, this would be a little easier. So I hope that help. that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, because at the end of the day, machine learning engineer definitely is a software engineering type of position. So leverage best practices for software engineers um, and show off the fact that you can write code that is going to be performant. Um, that's yeah, I agree. One thing, yeah. How, did, awesome. you, did you have an interview like this? How did that go? No, I have one coming up, so I'm just trying to prepare for it. Yeah. yeah. Well, good luck, man. I'm looking forward to to hearing some sure. good news about that right sure. on. So. Uh, Shout out to everybody else in the room. We got JM and Preet, Dave, Thomas, Tor. Happy to see you guys here. Um, anybody have any questions, go ahead and let me know. You can put it right there in the chat. But right now, Jai would like to get some feedback on her resume. So let's go ahead and and do that. I wonder if, uh, are you able to share your screen? I think Ayodel, you might have to grant her permission. Uh, yeah, can yeah I, I see a green button in the bottom. Can I maybe give it a shot? I yeah, give it, give it a shot, see what happens. Okay, so here it goes. Oh, okay. Looks like I can. Let me try. And I did open uh, up permissions there, so you should be able to share. Okay. Uh, all right, something's showing up. Oh, let's see. Where is it? Okay, I'm just going to share. Yeah, no problem. All right, so can you guys see something here? Yeah, it's uh, it's coming up. It's okay. saying your screen sharing is starting, so excited to take a look at this. All right, so go ahead and... Scroll up to the top and zoom yeah. in just yeah. a little bit. So um, I'm either, I, I put here as data scientist, but I, I'm also opening up for other areas like data analyst, product analyst. Like that. But this is just like the 
skeleton or whatever you could call it. Mm -hmm. So um, I have two projects that I put over here. Um, one is the sentiment analysis and exploratory. One is an R, one is in uh, Python. The one on the top sentiment analysis is using Python. The one on the bottom is R. And then the rest of it is all my education profile. And then uh, if I scroll down a little bit in the bottom, this is other data projects that I have on my GitHub. Uh, I can stop here and then um, I can, and I'll so show you my next. Is it just one page? Oh, no, I do have my work experience, which comes down right in the bottom right there, like that. This is my current, most recent job currently I'm working and the rest of the stuff uh, past experience yeah so as much as possible like i mean try to compress this into one page if you possibly can so scroll up back up to the top okay and if you can you zoom in a little bit more sorry say that again can you zoom in a little bit oh more yeah 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 this? sure is that good yeah, that's good right there. So um, the profile part, let's start there. I'm a data scientist and I would, I would probably remove the ampersand and just spell out and A-N-D. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, this one here, right here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. So make that ampersand actually a word. I'm a data scientist and artificial intelligence professional who is passionate about the intersection of AI, data science, people and business by delivering key data-driven insights drive. All right, so, I mean, the profile doesn't really, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because or mm -hmm. about how it's structured. I'm a data science and, and artificial intelligence professional who is passionate about the intersection of AI, data science, people, and business by delivering key data-driven insights drive strategies and improve business decision-making. So I think just the structure of that sentence, it, it kind of jumps from talking about being passionate and then you're delivering something by doing something like it seems like oh, a disconnect so it seems like a disconnect like two sentences two parts of a sentence are just kind of stuck together so maybe okay. streamline that right mm -hmm. um so maybe just say i am a data science ai professional um, who is delivering key data something maybe get rid of this whole thing or yeah well i'm not going to like go through sentence by sentence yeah, 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 yeah. But, but definitely just think about how you can like what what are you actually trying to tell me with this profile let's run that exercise like what when 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 you have somebody read this profile what impression do you want that person to have about you as a candidate uh, i want them to hire me as a data scientist that uh, <laughs> i can i can do the work as a data science you know like uh, uh maybe look at the i'm able to look at the data and provide provide insights. That's basically what I want them to think of me. Okay. So think about this, the thousand other people who are applying for this exact same job, mm -hmm. probably saying some variation of the exact same thing that you are trying to save their profile. So how can you make yourself stand out in literally 25 words or less, right? Okay. So gotcha. Think, be creative with how you say this, right? And think of what you can say to separate yourself from the thousands of other people applying for the same okay. job, right? Um, so, I mean, you're probably not passionate about the intersection of AI and data science. I don't know if anybody's passionate about that, but they are probably passionate about helping other people solve their problems using blah, 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 or maybe passionate about helping improve people's lives through something, something, something. Okay. I'll, I'll pause there. I'll see if yeah. IW has any uh, input as well. Yeah, I think this is also a great spot for you to... Um, 
speak a little bit directly to the hiring manager and say, um, obviously you have some data science experience, but you're still at that point where you want more, you want really um, to dive in, have maybe a little bit more responsibility. So um, trying to find creative ways to express that in this profile saying, I'm ready to like take that next step um, because I've proven I can provide data-driven insights. Um, I think that might be a good way of framing that profile section. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so something like a, I would just say data science professional, right? Say a, a data science professional with a proven track record of something, 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 using something, right? Does that make sense? So that yeah, yeah. Kind of mm-hmm. blends, blends what I daily saying there about making your value proposition. Okay, so, gotcha. And so this is a great format for the resume. Um, this is what we provide at Data Science Dream Job as a resume template. And as you can see here, um, it's very nice and eye-catching. So I like that. A lot of white space and everything is quite good to see. Um, so the sentiment analysis model on movie reviews. Um, so, you know, huge fan of using the star format. I, for one, typically don't, um, I don't use bullet points too much just because I find it too constricting. So that, that's just a personal take on that. Uh, I would much rather just use a narrative where I'm saying situation, task, action, result, right? So for this project, I was interested in doing this thing. My task was to do these three things. The actions I took or the analysis I performed was this. And as a result, I observed this, right? Okay. So maybe something like this could be, um, you know, I, I was interested in determining whether I can accurately classify the sentiment for movie reviews using PyTorch and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I performed these following tasks, did this analysis, and as a result, my model performed this compared to baseline, right? Gotcha. Like okay. That. The stop moment. Okay. Yeah. I really... I'd love to hear your inputs here. Yeah, um, I actually think, you know, you can either use the star format. I have my resume and bullet points, but I'd say um, you can, in some ways, attempt to condense this. So um, I do think you have really good detail and you've mentioned a lot of the things that stand out, especially in the tooling. So if you are going through a um, like ATS system, they'll look for things like AWS SageMaker, LSTM, a lot of the keywords you use. Um, the only suggestion I'd have is try to like shorten the sentences just slightly if you stick with the bullet point format. Okay. Um, I think that is also another reason it's not necessarily the best way to go um, because it makes it look so much larger and it looks almost more like a wall of text, even though... Um, okay you have them specifically outlined any a lot of people who review um resumes are only able to like read one or two and then they're like "Eh, yeah i'm not going to get to the bottom of each one of these so right um just given the amount of time they spend on your resume if there's ways you can shorten these somewhat that would be helpful okay sure thank you these are all valuable and and heartbeat you said you don't prefer bullet point. You put it like in a paragraph format. That's, that that's just good? me. That's just like everyone's going to have their own thing, right? Like, okay, like okay. there's no, there's no like one right way to do a resume. Like if you get enough resume advice, everything's going to cancel out to zero, right? So right. What, what is going to be true between what I and myself have said is that there, you know, 
condense it, make it consistent, to make it clear that one bullet point follows the next and next, right? So yeah, yeah. when you have yours done, I think like the flow is great. The flow is great. Maybe one tweak you want to do is have a opening sentence that's free of bullet points that provides maybe seven to 10 words of context. And then you can have the bullet points outlining your, your individual tasks. Okay. Um, so that's something to, to think about. Um, but yeah, I mean, bullet points, no bullet points really doesn't matter. It's personal preference. I think. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I just, I, I like narrative forms and, and things mm-hmm. like that, but, but okay. I do like your flow is, is nice. Like I, I, I do see that flow. Like you're talking about your, the second bullet point is your tasks and mm-hmm. your actions and the third bullet point and then your results. So you are far following star format. If I was to have this resume on my desk, and you are applying for a role, like I wouldn't disqualify you. But like, oh, right, it looks like this is a really interesting project. Looks like she's done work. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, that being said, like it, it's well done. Um, I would go back to that profile section, though. That's for sure. And yeah, figure yeah, out a way to, for sure. Okay, yeah. I will do that. Um, okay. Yeah. So definitely, for more in depth, uh, you know, you're part of DSDJ. Go talk to one of us during our office hours. We'll get yeah. even more in depth, or post it to our Slack channel there. Sure. Um, but we'll circle back around if we if there's a if there's time. Right now, I've got a Manpreet in the queue. Yeah. So questions. yeah, I can always come back. Yeah, I can yeah. do this another time. That's fine. So I'm yeah. gonna stop sharing my screen. Yeah. Um, no, I had the question related to CV on the. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, go for um, it. So uh, I had this question. So being a fresher, uh, you generally don't have experience. So you need to show about your projects you did in your college days and graduation. So at that time, lab, elaborating your projects about your projects is a good idea. Keeping it like in a simple way. I did train this, got this course and the data set used this and give a GitHub link, or we should elaborate it more. I mean, as much detail as possible without taking up too much space. <laughs> That's my general yeah. advice there. Um, uh, Ideally, what do you think? Yeah, um, along the same lines as that, um, providing the detail that is important to people reviewing. And so the things that are important are what kinds of languages, tools you used, um, that's half to get past some of the like applicant tracking systems. Um, and the other details that are important are especially outcomes um, and how you worked on this project. Many of these projects are going to be individual and that's fine. But if you were collaborating with someone else, it's important to mention that um, as well as providing some context to how the project came about. So for a lot of our like personal projects, we just have interest in something, but I think providing some context of, I really love Star Trek. So I downloaded all of the scripts from every episode and, and even having that bit kind of shows, okay, you chose this project because you were passionate about this or interested in this. I think as much, as much of those details you can include, um, like Harpreet said, in as little space <laughs> as possible. Yeah. And that, as a, you know, somebody who doesn't have work experience projects, I think are a great way to signal that you have interest in the field, that you have capability to get the job done. So definitely do projects and and talk about them on your on your resume and i would i'm a huge fan of having really interesting titles for projects right so if the more eye-catching and interesting you can make the title of your project i think the better chance you have that somebody's going to read through your resume because you have to think of the resume as what it is right it's a sales document 
typically, ultimately, it's going to be viewed by a human. You know, you can bypass the applicant tracking system by reaching out to people directly on LinkedIn, making sure you're reaching out to recruiters and HR people, not just individual contributor data scientists, but then leverage some some of the common uh, biases that humans have, right? So if, if I have a resume that's just a wall of text, that's just going to, it's going to tire my eyes out, right? So having white space, making it easy to scan, and then those boldings that you do there, Jai, that's great because it catches people's attention. Uh-huh. Um, with personal projects, the more interesting you can make the, the title and the more interesting you can make that hook like talking about why you're doing this project, I think the better it will turn out in the long run. Uh, Tor, do you have any resume tips here? Nope. Oh, I mean, I thought Tor's got, Tor's got awesome advice. Well, if, you, if you have anything to share, dude, I'd love to hear it. Uh, today, I don't have really any, not on CV. I agree with a lot of the points Yeah. Uh, that you made, like keep it short, make the point, keep it interesting. Uh, to trigger people's interest. Um, personally, I haven't updated my CV in 12 years. Yeah. <laughs> when you get to a point where you stop updating and, uh, you know, I'm not really looking for work, but still, you know, I, I still update it. And, uh, but it's getting shorter and shorter as I grow older and older. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's kind of becoming self-explanatory to a lot of the people I talk to. So uh, um, there's not so much promotion, but still, I agree. Uh, the key is eye-catching. But the, the one thing I've started to be more interested in is that when you're looking at applications now, a lot of the reviews, the first reviews, is made by AI or ML or reviews, automated reviews. And and to me, I think that the CVs nowadays really has to be made so that the machines can read it. It's not really for people. It is actually for machines. So getting those trigger words in there, I think that is key. Um, I'm not too familiar with how those tools work. Um, but uh, from what I see and when I talk to people, also on LinkedIn, you see a lot of people that are applying, but basically you get no response or no reaction. And And to me, I think it's a lot to do with the CVs now being read by machines and not by people anymore. Yeah. I mean, one way to bypass that is reaching out to people on, on LinkedIn and making sure you're, you're targeting like a technical recruiter who's active on LinkedIn, right? So you got to do a little bit of sleuthing. So if you've applied for a company that looks really interesting, go to that company's LinkedIn page, look at the people type in recruiter in terms of like the job title, find people who are recruiters, specifically technical recruiters, click on their LinkedIn profile and, and and see how active they were, right? If somebody hasn't posted anything in months, don't waste your, your in-mail credit messaging them. If somebody's been active over the last few days, definitely spend the credit there. Um, and I think that in itself can help bypass a lot of the ATS stuff because you can just reach out and say, hey, um, I've, you know, just for the record, I've already applied on your company website. I know that my resume has a unique format, so I you know, make sure that I didn't get uh, passed on by the ATS system. So I'm just reaching out to you and just be kind and then send a nice message. Um, I made a post a while ago about five tips to make a, uh, a resume stand out. So I'll go ahead and I'll just read that here for you guys. So five tips to instantly improve the resume. One, stand out from the crowd. Right, Hiring managers review thousands of resumes and they all look the same. Simple cognitive hack, immediately catch the reviewer's eyes. If every resume looks the same and yours stands out in a good way, the reviewer will automatically pause and spend more time looking it over. So we saw that demonstrated with Jaya's template. Really visually appealing, 
Um, but one thing I would say was um, that, which, you know, it's part of the next point, which is about leveraging white space, right? So a wall of text can overwhelm the reviewer. So cognitive hack, use white space to your advantage. The eye needs rest when you're scanning or reading. So white space is going to help the reviewer digest your resume content. It's going to separate information out, helps create a nice little hierarchy of information as well. Craft a story. So this is where our advice will cancel out to zero because I say uh, don't start firing off bullet points. You want the reviewer to connect with you. You do that with the story. Paint a picture of your main responsibility. So an opening sentence, maybe describing your role and what you did. And then, yeah, definitely move into bullet points, right? Use bullet points to present achievements and highlight projects you've worked on using the STAR format. Be audience-centric because your resume is a sales document. Tell the reviewer what you could do for them. Avoid jargon. Be clear. Uh, and project titles matter, right? So that's that's kind of the the tips that I had there. Um, definitely try to leverage those if possible, but resumes are tricky, man. Like <laughs> they're, they're so, they're hard to get right. Um, but yeah, thank you, uh, Ayodeli and Carpet. That was very helpful. I'll, I'll work on the profile and, you know, kind of shortening it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could, I could tell a lot of text there, but I just, you know, uh, is it good enough or not good enough? But yeah, those points I'll, I'll take into consideration for sure. Thank you. Yeah, Ayodeli. What uh, other advice would you share regarding resumes? Um, I would say, I guess it's a little bit less about resumes and more about projects. Um, try and gear your projects if you are interested in certain industries. Um, I know some people who are, because of their past, super interested in working for airlines or super interested um, in transportation or finance. Um, try and work on projects in those, and then it is going to be easier. And you'll probably find if you make it onto the later stages in the interview process, they'll want to talk to you really in depth about anything you've done that overlaps a little with the kinds of work they do. So, um, Based off of your interests, try and find target industries and then try and have a couple projects based around that. Um, and I would double down on having creative project names. Um, as, as someone who has reviewed a couple hundred um, data science resumes, it's easy to see some of the same projects um, reappear more or less in this in the similar words. So even um, like for you, Jai, I would say maybe is there a data, a movie in that data set that you love or you really hate and then call that project, you know, everyone else hates this movie like I do or something. And so um, those are ways that kind of pique the reviewer's interest as well. Um, and so they can also ask, okay, why do you name it that in addition to what makes you care about X industry or working for us specifically? And if you have a project that's similar or in the same industry, that becomes a lot easier to answer. Those are awesome tips. I like that a lot. So when you're going out and you're trying to think about a project that you want to do, um, how do you go about ideating on a project? Is it kind of doing something that you're just really interested in or could it be, you know, I've got this ideal company I want to work for and I know that this ideal company works on this type of problem. Let me try to emulate that and then just show them that I did this. I mean, because there's so many different ways you could do this, right? Like think about it. You're only limited by your creativity. If there's a company out there that, you know, maybe is in your local municipality in your local area that you're like, dude, I would love to work there, but they don't have any job openings available. But then one way to get your foot in the door is just create a project that is kind of touching on the type of work they do email a or linkedin message a, a data scientist obviously build a relationship with them and say hey by the way you guys are doing cool stuff i find it super fascinating 
I was just trying to replicate what you guys do on a, on a day-to-day basis or whatever. Um, obviously, I don't know what you guys do, but here's a, a project that I think you might find interesting. Check it out, right? And and you're just kind of you kind of just introducing yourself, and then when an opportunity comes up, then maybe they'll reach out to you, or maybe you can create an opportunity for yourself where one didn't exist before. Um, that's something I was doing for myself quite a lot back in 2018. I would just message people and create opportunities. Um, how have you created some opportunities for yourself, Ideally? Yeah, I can say that I've definitely taken that path, um, trying to build relationships on LinkedIn. Um, It's not necessarily easy, but especially if so... One of the ways I found to make it easier um, was to do a lot of digging and try and find anything um, outside of work that you have in common with people. So um, I have a ton of random interests, like I'm really into hockey. So um, anyone I've connected with that is remotely into hockey, I'm like, okay, I have something to talk to you about other than like work. Um, So it might come from finding their personal website, finding um, their Twitter account, seeing other things that they're interested in to build a stronger relationship than, um, and as you can imagine, the larger the company they're at and the more name recognition. So if there's someone who is out there doing talks, they're consistently getting these kinds of messages of, hey, you know, I'd love to work for your company. And it's really hard to stand out there. Um, So by trying to find, even if it's something I'm like, not super interested in, but I could have a conversation about, um, like I currently live in Denver. So there's a lot of people who are data scientists here who are really into skiing, snowboarding, the outdoors. So I can say, Oh, you know, I heard about the powder that's on like the mountain one, like, and I'm not a skier or a snowboarder, but I can kind of start that conversation that way. So I've tried to start in not necessarily, um, work related conversations, but trying to find people who I think, think would be those good connections and trying to find anything we have in common that's not just work so that's been helpful for me that's so cool i did not know you're into hockey it's like a inner canadian there uh so dave has a question here it's a good idea to tailor your resume to the company that you're currently applying for that's a great question um so i so me personally like i'm lazy so i i would i just i would i would spend my time more trying to find people to reach out to at the company that i'm interested in uh than optimizing for just the resume itself right because ultimately the purpose of the resume is just to you know a sales document try to get try to get yourself noticed but you can also get yourself noticed by just reaching out to people uh, recruiters in the company and talking about how what you've done connects to what this company is currently doing right um what do you think ideally yeah i i think you can um but i will agree with you i seconded i'm lazy and i'm not doing that for every company but i do have specific like profiled resumes i have my resume if i'm going up for um like a devrel role or if i'm going up for a um, data science lead role or if i'm going up for a like product analyst kind of role so i have them um kind of categorized and by by that what kind of job profile regardless of actual titles so you'll see some jobs that are business analysts but they ask for a data scientist essentially in in the requirements and i'd submit my data scientist like uh, resume versus the one I have maybe prepared for more analyst roles. So um, that's a way you can do it and save a little bit of time. So it's not, especially applying to jobs is really difficult. And I know there's so many um, times that you have your hand in 
a couple dozen applications at once. So if you can at least have maybe two or three um, that are your go-tos, that might be an easier way to manage it, but still tailor these resumes. And um, you can also highlight different projects depending on what kind of uh, job you're going up for. So I think that uh, that's been a, been a good way for me to try and manage that without having to individualize a little too much. I like that a lot. Yeah. Like Tor saying here, it's like having multiple profiles, like, I really like that that approach. Uh, that's one thing I found interesting. In there was uh, when you're talking about product analyst, and I'm curious. Like I was talking to Lillian Pearson about this when I was interviewing her for for the podcast a couple weeks ago, maybe it was last week or something. Um, but we're talking about how to move up in your career as a data scientist, right? Because there's roles where you're just a no, I don't mean to say just a, but you're in a individual contributor type of role. So you're very much hands on, uh, you know, in the dirt in your notebooks in your scripts and, and just doing, doing that work. But then if you want to get onto more of a, a leadership and strategic path, then maybe you at some point want to change directions. So how, how do you see moving to like a product analyst or product management position, setting up a data scientist to go on to leadership? Positions. At least from what I've heard, and um, because I haven't done this myself, um, I think it's actually a really great jump in that the vast majority of like programmer project uh, kind of management roles, while they don't require you to be on the hand, uh, like in the dirt, uh, in the weeds and technical, they require a lot more similar skills to leadership when it comes to strategy and when it comes to time management, organization of projects on the entire scale. So um, in most data science roles, we might be working on the end-to-end for a specific project, but we're not really considering um, how it impacts the overall organization, the amount of uh, paid man hours that go into it. I think that um, I've seen people that successfully move into like data science management and leading really large teams have spent some time doing really deep work on um, strategy as well as um, just kind of leadership. So some people maybe take the data science team lead uh, um, kind of position before they move on to a more people management. But um, a lot of the success, I think, comes from looking outside of the detail and being able to work with the big picture and being able to uh, communicate the big picture to various levels of like technical skills. So to your um, people that are in your org, as well as other members of leadership. And I think that's what a lot more program managers, technical uh, program managers tend to spend their time on is communicating timelines, uh, priorities, to CEO level, to, um, you know, machine learning engineer level kind of people. And um, I've noticed that they end up being really successful as managers and, and as leaders by being able to be more strategic. Yeah, that's the clouds part, right? That's the, the clouds up there, big picture. And then, yeah, that's powerful to be able to be simultaneously in the in the clouds and, and the dirt, be able to understand a little bit of both. I was actually, I, I interviewed just for the, the fun of it for a technical product manager role recently, got rejected for it um, just because like, I've clearly was not a good fit for it, but I wanted to see what the interview was about. Uh, boss, if you're listening, you know, I love you and I love working with you. So just that, that caveat there, I'm not like actually looking to leave. I just, I like interviewing. It's fun. Um, but I, I, you know, we had a great conversation. It was a great conversation, but I, I knew it wasn't going to be a good fit in the, for, for the role. Um, so I just told him straight up, I was like, look, I want to at least learn something 
while I have you here. So talk to me about you as a product manager. Um, we're talking about, you know, prioritization and things like that. What do you use? How do you go about setting these priorities when you're working on a, um, a new product or a new feature, what have you? And he told me about this framework, the RICE framework, R-I-C-E. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of that, but it's the uh, RICE prioritization framework for product managers. Um, and, you know, it helps estimate value and, and things like that. But I'll go ahead and I'll put this into the uh, into the chat here. So if you guys are interested in checking it out, you can do so. Have you heard of this at all? No? Yeah, it's a bit interesting. I haven't, I haven't read too much into it. That's something I've been trying to, like, I've been trying to give myself an MBA recently by just studying different topics. Um, so one thing I've been, uh, like Lean Analytics is a, is a great book that I've been using to kind of understand products and how uh, metrics, you know, we should be tracking metrics for certain products. Um, written by Alistair Kroll, who is also on my podcast once upon a time. Check out that interview. And this book right here, um, Case in Point, just trying to understand how consultants think through um, projects when they're starting out. So been been helpful, like trying to trying to understand more business type of stuff. Um, what do you think, Ideally, how, how have you been? Do, do you have you have an MBA, right? If I believe it or not, I don't. <laughs> so um, my my business experience and pretty much all of my business acumen comes from working at startups, mm-hmm. um, and it is a a great difficult way to basically get a like mini MBA. So I guess I should start from the beginning. I, um, when I started working at startups, I actually went through a startup accelerator and that was like a mini MBA because we were forced to pitch our products and go through all of the steps of trying to set things up, find me a CFO. Um, that taught me, I think, the vast majority um, of what I needed to understand how data fits in. Because as I was going through this um, business accelerator, I was in grad school for my uh, data science degree. So I was able to clearly see some of the connections. And that exposed me to all of the aspects of business I like had no idea about. <laughs> um, so I had previously been working in marketing. And yeah, you kind of hear a little little bit about sales functions and what they're doing, but I wasn't really involved um, until going through this accelerator and then trying to leverage everything I was learning um, as like a baby data scientist at a startup. So yeah, not a, not formally trained really, really in business, but um, having a quick dive in and then having immediate responsibility, I think definitely put some pressure on me to um, make connections between the data kinds of, uh, things I was learning. So understanding how to, um, use different kinds of regression modeling to work on churn and other product analytics. So, um, yeah, no MBA here actually. But that's, you've learned so much in that through those type of experiences. That's so cool because like the, the, I mean, you're clearly very knowledgeable connecting data science to business. And it's always awesome to hear you talk about that from your experiences working in, in startups. What do you think would be like the biggest lesson that you've learned that, that you think all of us sitting in this room should, should take with us to career? That's a good question. Um, while it sounds vague, I would say things are not always as they appear. 
So um, especially, I actually read really good advice the other day, um, where it was like data scientists are not like servers at a restaurant. You don't aren't you don't exist just to take orders and then go find things in the data to match these orders. Um, you should be more of a trusted advisor. So you are allowed to have um, your own morals, specific lines that you're not going to cross within the kinds of modeling you're being asked to do. Um, and it's okay to surface those. I think being able to communicate well and being able to communicate tactfully why um, maybe you should go in a different direction is really, really important. Um, I think so just being being incredibly critical and skeptical sounds in most scenarios really negative. But I think um, one of the strongest things that really great data scientists have is the ability to say no and have an have a bias towards saying no. Um, it's more likely that the exceptions that get past you um, were actually really good use cases. And that's um, try and see yourself as somewhat of the filter between every like harebrained idea someone wants to do in your startup and things that are actually going to provide value and uh, provide value in the right ways. So um, with optimizing anything, we can over-focus on metrics and we can um, try to optimize for metrics so much that we end up doing the opposite of what we want to do. So there's like um, a way to measure how effective teachers are by looking at student test scores, but that ends up promoting cheating and a lot of other things so that teachers don't have to worry about job security in case that students don't test well. So um, just an example of what that over-optimization looks like. So just in general, be skeptical and, and air on this on the side of they're telling you that they want something but that may not be what they really want and do spend the time to do the digging to try and provide solutions that answer what they need and not necessarily what they asked you for if that makes sense yeah it's almost like um just kind of exercising good good judgment in in a sense is, yes. is that like a good encapsulation of that just cultivating good judgment and and acting on it. Mm -hmm. I like that. Some really good advice. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so for, for those of us who really like, for example, let's say we don't work at a startup and you probably don't see any opportunities for us to, to jump in and, and make our own startup. How can we develop some of these quote unquote business skills? I know there's not like one skill that's called business. There's really a meta skill, just like data science is a meta skill, but are there any books that you recommend or, or anything you recommend to, to help us kind of develop more of a business acumen? Yeah, I think I, I may have recommended this book before, but I really like Data Science for Business yeah. in that it, it puts a lot of these in really a lot of the problems that businesses are actually facing in terms that data science scientists can understand. But also it shows you how to start seeing um, regular business issues as data problems and as potentially machine learning solutions. Um, other resources, I would say, I don't have any specific on deck. However, I would suggest that um, whatever industry you're working in, try and find and read any of the recent papers that are applying machine learning um, to any of the kinds of data in that industry. Um, while the papers might not really give you the like business acumen, um, it can kind of 
help show you the the path to a technical solution. Um, and hopefully if you have enough uh, understanding of kind of the domain already, you can start forming those connections. Um, I also suggest um, just kind of looking for even like really good medium posts about product analytics. So um, I know that the vast majority of data science is not just in product analytics. I think it's just one of the most popular areas and areas that most fang companies are incredibly interested in. So understanding what the product metrics metrics are. So what is churn? What is um, a, you know, what, are the metrics that SaaS companies are interested in. Um, having an understanding there makes it a little easier to find. Um, there's a lot of resources there on a attempting to use statistical modeling and machine learning um, on those types of problems. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, like products are, you know, it makes sense that that's huge for, for data scientists. I think as we begin to move, you know, obviously we're, we're always moving into the future, but these type of products are what we're going to just continue to see more and more and more of, right? Are these type of products that are digital, like software based products. So having an understanding of what drives revenue for them and how to minimize costs, I think is super important. So yeah, data, data science for business, great book. Uh, Lean analytics is something I like as well that um, recently been finding myself going back to read just to just to stay smart and educated in that area. Um, but how about like data scientists thinking like entrepreneurs or having like a founder kind of mindset, right? Did, so in your experience with startups, did you feel that you had to kind of adopt that founder mindset? Absolutely. I had to have some of the skin in the game to, to have a really, I think, a meaningful impact. So um, when I say that, I mean that I was incredibly invested, not only because this is my company and I have equity at this company, um, but I was invested because when you are at an organization that small, you can easily see the decisions that lead to sales, revenue, and some of the decisions that don't lead to that or that lead to some of that um, stagnation. So you there's a massive feeling of fulfillment when you can create a model at a really small org and it's incredibly impactful and they're using it for years and years. So um, I had to, I was a little bit forced to, to adopt um, the founder mindset by being uh, technically a co-founder in the beginning. Um, but it even other startups I joined where maybe I wasn't in the, um, kind of founder level, um, I had to understand that certain decisions, certain models um, are coming from places of trying to advance and grow, especially for growth stage startups. Um, so I wasn't able to it brings its own set of challenges. I wasn't able to have the kinds of budget necessary to get all of the data I need. So I had to figure out ways to work with what I had, figure out ways to um, be flexible and maybe secure a little bit of budget for a little bit of additional data instead of what I originally wanted. Um, it's also made me more flexible in finding solutions uh, under tougher constraints. So you have the constraint of money and time and resources. Like um, my very first like data scientist position, I was having to extract uh, metrics from screenshots. Like it, it seems ridiculous. And this was before I even knew about a lot of OCR tools. So um, 
having to do some of those things manually, while it was a slog, it did also force me to be more flexible um, in how I could solve a problem <laughs> and spent more time solving little problems and then sort of readjusting our overall like data schema so that we wouldn't run into the same problems over and over again. And that wouldn't be the blocker to a new project that is um, supposedly going to be highly profitable. So uh, a lot of, believe it or not, data engineering work is involved, especially at that kind of startup level um, experience wise. Yeah. Talk about something that will drive creativity. It's constraints. I think that'll force you to think creatively. I'm curious. Uh, I don't know if, how much you're able to discuss this. Let, let me know if, if you're not. But you were talking about uh, having to secure budget to get data. What, what did you mean by that? Um, like get data from like your own sources or get data from external? Yeah. So in my scenario, I was getting data from external sources. So the startup I was at was about six people. <laughs> um, so incredibly small. And we did not have a lot of data outside of our own transactions. So what we were looking for, there were also um, organizations that sold um, data in this space, but it was really, really expensive. Um, so if I wanted to go and get like, two terabytes of industry like transaction data they were quoting us close to like fifty thousand dollars and the startup is like well, that was our last round so we're going to have to figure out other solutions um i essentially brokered a deal to literally get like half a terabyte of data um for i want to say it was about five thousand dollars and we ended up doing some analysis work for them so we actually as a uh, Two organizations did a little bit of business trading um, and trading resources and services. And that's how we ended. I ended up getting enough data to start making initial models and to start building data pipelines for when we were able to get more. Um, but it took a lot of work that I don't think I expected. And I expected as, oh, you know, hey, I'm a data scientist. I can just go ask for this data and I'll be given the data. And that was not the case. So this data that like that's interesting. Interesting. So they, they had transactional data, like where, where did they get this data from? Like, yeah. was it, did they just make it up or how was Yeah. This so this was actually, I want to say around 2016. So this was when Colorado actually fully went recreationally legal on like cannabis sales. And so that data was incredibly private and really just held by the state government and the um, point of sale systems. And so the organization that actually ran and sold these point of sale systems turned into a data and analytics company because they realized what people were more interested in was how much is the average sale? How much should I, um, what should I charge for X amount of product based on all of the other companies already selling it? And so um, our company was a was attempting to be a bridge between new products who were like, so we don't really have ways to advertise because we're in a regulated industry. We can't buy Facebook ads. We can't buy Twitter. YouTube. Um, we can't really advertise in public ways. So we connected those organizations to private media outlets that weren't really, um, they would either be private uh, like news websites um, or individual artists who would do this 
this work for them. But we had no clue what the state of the industry looked like. We weren't sure how many sales overall in the state are there, how many um, dispensaries are there. We we had no clue that kind of data. So that's what we ended up um, purchasing from them to have a better idea of what the landscape looked like overall. That's really fascinating. Super interesting to think about all these different types of industries out there that provide all this type of information. Like, wow, it's it. Yeah, that's uh, just it's interesting to me how there's like just so many industries and businesses and so many ways that you can create a business to do something interesting that you probably wouldn't have thought of if all you were exposed to were just, you know, companies in your local area. Yeah, it's really, really insightful. Thank you very much. Um, I guess we should open it up and see if anybody else has questions. I've been so interested in, in learning about Iodeli and what she's been doing. Um, last minute questions from anybody here? Yeah, identify companies in the local area. Do you go to the state website or is there a place that people go to to look out for the local companies in the area? Yeah, when I was doing it, so I, I was I, I just typed in software companies like in my city, Winnipeg, and Google, and a bunch of people came up. Another thing I did was, uh, like, you know, you could type in like your postal code, your zip code, and you can look for people who have a, the job title, software developer, software engineer. Um, and we're using that phrase particularly because we're looking, you know, I was in my case targeting software companies because I've, I imagine if this company is in software, then they might have a need for data scientists or data analysts, right? So kind of thinking about it in that way. So look for look for software engineers, software developers in your local area, see where they work, go look at their company website and see what the company is all about. And, you know, if they have data scientists, great. That means that's a potential for you to to network and then get to know them. If they don't have data scientists, then you send out a message to like the CEO or whatever, if it's a small company and say, hey, you know, I know you're not hiring for data scientists, but let me sell you on my skills. Here's what I can do for you. Right. So you just do the usual uh, open inverted uh, open and close colons and then put the postal code and then the software develops like that. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. yeah that's curious. Yeah. Awesome. Um, right on, man. Well, I guess we can go ahead and uh, and call it today. Um, thanks, guys, for hanging out. I'm I'm wondering maybe if you know at some point in the future after we have. Uh, this round of office hours completed maybe we might want to look at a different time or day for for this i don't know i would love to get more people here i know if you're listening on the show i know this you know we end up usually getting a few hundred downloads of of this within the first couple days you guys feel free to join us come come hang out send me an email if there are other times that work for you i'd love to hear about that too so um you know i was hoping hoping that this this time of day this time of week would get a lot of people coming in because, you know, we got people in Europe, people in India that could join in as well, UK and so on and so forth. Um, so if you're listening at home, come join us one of these days, man. I want to have you guys here right on. Well, Adeli, any closing words here? I'd say stay motivated. Don't give up and uh, try and like Harpreet said, if you're looking for folks in your local area, look for uh, companies that have data engineers. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It'll yes. be a little easier for you if uh, if you do land a data science job there. Yes, great, great tip. Um, cool. Well, guys, remember, catch us next week at the Data Science Go Virtual Conference. Super excited to see all you guys there. It'll be a lot of uh, great talks. I'm excited for the panel discussion. There's me, Ayodeli, my good friend, Vin Fascista, who I know you guys all know, um, and another individual who I don't quite know yet, but we're going to get to know her. Um, so guys, thank you again. Thanks for hanging out. Remember, you've got one life on this planet. Why not try to do something big? Cheers, everybody. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye, everyone.